Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 35 at the Ink Pad with Anna and Barbara, recorded on August 19th, 2015. My name is Julie Fayfan Balzer, and with me is my co host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. So, we are actually in the same house right now. That's kind of creepy, right? Well, thanks for calling me creepy for being in your house. I appreciate that. But yeah, so actually I'm here because you had to have a life-changing event happen to you on Monday. Yes. Uh, I had cataract surgery. You did. And, and first of all, I think we have to brag about how terrible your eyesight was before because pr- it was pretty only, amazing. Only in one eye. True. Uh, I guess they said I was legally blind in one eye, but I am blind no more. Right, and that's the amazing part, right? You've gone now to 2020 in that eye. Yes, so now the the former good eye is annoying me because it's not as good as the better eye. <laughs> but the thing is that this actually got us talking about some art-related stuff about artists and their eyes. Yes, and in fact, why would we think that artists would be different than anybody else? They uh, sometimes deteriorate. And it shows up in their art, and a lot of times people want to look at their uh, the history of these artists and say, oh, it's all an intellectual decision. But sometimes it turns out it's not. It's a physiological uh, occurrence. And I was just reading an article by a scientist from Stanford, and I'll send you the link so you can put it on the uh, web page. Yeah. Yes, on the page. Uh, and he was talking about artists such as Monet, who had cataracts and who therefore changed his color palette over time and his strokes got less subtle. And in fact, later years, he didn't do as many faces because he couldn't see the details. And what he was afraid of was that cataract surgery was not very uh, developed and Mary Cassatt had had uh, a cataract, and after she had it removed, she went blind in that eye. So he did make the decision to have it, and he did uh, then see colors differently again and and see more clearly, but I think it was quite a decision, right? Right, because, I mean, I know that the day, even the day that you had the surgery when we came home, you just kept saying, everything's so bright, everything's so bright. Has the house always been this bright? Well, the danger is now you can see the dirt. Right, which is actually what the doctor said. The doctor said, be careful when you go home. Don't look too closely under furniture. Yes, he must have been in my house before. There you go. There you go. So, no, I just thought it was really cool because I think besides, obviously, issues that we directly related, obviously, to cataracts, there's lots of famous stuff like, you know, um, Matisse and his cutouts. A lot of that work was based on his health uh, deteriorating through cancer that he just physically couldn't get out of a chair as easily to paint and stuff. Um, and there are other artists I know who've had other health crises that have definitely affected the way that they create. It's just interesting to think that you, I mean, you are your art in some ways because you are the physical uh, manifestations, the wrong word, but you're the, you, you're, the you have, you're the instrument at some level. Yeah. Exactly. You're the instrument. So you, how you move, how you age, what you do, like so influences what you create. I mean, I think it's the same way that your environment shapes it. I mean, that's a whole very long conversation, I suppose. I will just say colors are extraordinarily different now. And they were saying the same thing uh, in this article. 
uh, about Monet. And then they talked about Degas, and he had macular degeneration. So at, by the end, he was painting a lot from memory and a lot from just looking out the side of his eyes. It's an interesting thing because you were saying that cataracts are yellow, and so everything had this kind of yellow tinge, and now it's more bright and clear. Right? Yeah. It's unbelievable change. I think it sounds. It's science is amazing. Science is. is amazing. I think that's amazing. You can go from legally blind to 2020. That's like the most shocking thing ever. So there you go. So I'm looking forward to getting my someday cataracts that I will no doubt develop if should I be lucky to live long enough removed. Don't fear it. That's exactly. what I would say. Exactly. So we have two fearless ladies with us today. Actually, we we have a, we're doubling your pleasure with two guests. Um, who and actually, I've never said Anna's last name out loud, and I just realized I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Is it Anna Chang? Anna Chang. There it. you go. And Barbara Briskin. So Anna is the owner, and Barbara, I believe, is the manager. I may have gotten the titles wrong. To me, they're just the lovable duo. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, <laughs> of the Ink Pad, which is uh, a stamp store, the stamp store, the best stamp store. I may be slightly uh, biased on this. We are too. There you go. <laughs> in New York City, and I believe it's it's uh, Anna. You opened the store in 1998. <laughs> Eight, yes, we'll be celebrating 17 years this uh, September 12th. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Wait a second, you <laughs> opened your store on September 12th? Uh-huh. Okay, I have to tell you, I moved to New York City on September 12th. Ooh. I'm not even kidding you. In fact, I, I guess so. If you opened the store on September 12th, 1998, I moved to New York City on September 12th, 1999. Wow. I'm just telling you, it's fate. We're meant to be together That's forever. Very cool. Anyway, so tell us a little bit about the story of the ink pad. And for people who've never been there, I want you guys to describe it. I always describe it as like going into Harry Potter's wand shop, except that it's stamps instead of wands. I, I would say that. I mean, a lot of people come in and they say that it's kind of like a candy store. You know, you walk in and you can just choose from any image that you could possibly imagine um, your perfect stamp or your perfect bunch of stamps. <laughs> And uh, people really, it's fun. It's fun to see people's faces when they come through the door and they go, oh my gosh, I traveled, you know, 4,000 miles to come here. And we do get people from all over the world. So it's really fun to see how far-reaching it can be. And I had never expected that when I first opened. By the way, speaking of people from all over the world, Barbara, I have to put you on the spot and say that you're famous in Japan. I'm afraid I, I think I'm more infamous at this point. Okay. So will you tell us why busloads of Japanese tourists come to take your photo? Sure. Um, I guess it's about a year and a half, two years ago now. I had gotten a call from a producer from a Japanese TV show, a travel show. And uh, they asked if they could come in and take some video in the shop. And of course we said yes. And lo and behold, they came in and they did some video in the shop. And then they decided that they wanted to film me uh, stamping some things out on the counter. And they did. And um, a few months later, the whole thing took about 15 minutes. And a few months later, I got an email from the producer with a, uh, a link to the video that had appeared on television. And something seemed a little off. Um, and, uh, it seems like it might be more of a comedy show than a travel show. And when I started doing a little research, what I found out was, is that it indeed 
is a comedy travel show and it's hosted by two very famous comedians in Japan who have the sort of 11:30 David Letterman hour so they have a huge audience and they kind of made fun of me in Japanese <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what they said I've never had it translated um but there was I guess one point uh during the conversation I was having with them on camera where I used the term oh wow and so I literally have had people come in and look at me and ask me to say oh wow to them and <laughs> did you say it just like that or how, uh, not how exactly do can you give us a sound bite of your oh, like, wow moment oh, wow and they just repeated it over and over again on the tv show and my fear is if i ever go to japan i'll see you know t-shirts with my <laughs> silly face and an oh wow coming out of my mouth <laughs> there you go i think that's amazingly cool that, they, that you're so famous in japan you can say it for real i'm famous right. in japan yeah i don't know what for i'm a little afraid to ask but but they pose for pictures with you and all sorts of stuff yes they do that's pretty cool <laughs> so how now you ladies have have a, have a very long history together i wonder if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about how the two of you came together in craft and art happiness yeah uh, i was actually working a full-time plus job in a different industry um I was traveling 12, 13 times a year to trade shows and to prospect for new business. And I happened to pick up a copy of Rubber Stamp Madness because I was, a, at the time, a closet crafter. And I saw a full-page ad that the ink pad was opening in New York City because there was nothing, nothing in New York City at the time like it. And I went down there the first hour that Anna was open and I walked in and I it just came out of my mouth and I said, I'm going to work here. <laughs> and, um, Anna kind of looked at me and she said, well, okay, and handed me an application. And I walked out and I thought to myself, you're crazy. You're already working, you know, six, seven days a week. What do you, how are you going to do this? And uh, I started off really um, uh, on occasional Sundays. And my first Sunday I was there, Anna left me alone, and I had a $900 sale, and I thought, okay, I could do this. And um, So $900 sale, that was like four stamps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it is New York. Um, and uh, so I just started working on Sundays. So I, at that point, I was working six or seven days a week, and then I started teaching, and that's kind of how it all started. And for you, Anna, this crazy person who approached you, what what was that like? I luckily just had the presence of mind to say, here, give me your phone number. I have no money right now. So just check out this gigantic ad. And I also wanted just to throw in there that the original size of the ink pad was probably a very small walk-in closet. Like, very, very small. And I just, you know, we didn't have room for, like, two people to even sit at one time. And it was really really interesting. I had no idea how I'd put two employees in the store at one time, let alone customers. That's crazy. So what, why did you, what was the impetus behind opening the store? Um, I was dating someone at the time whose mother was into craft and we, you know, she used to take me with her on the weekends to her kind of craft store. She made porcelain pins and um, other little crafty things. And I would go with her and I found 
a couple of rubber stamps at the different stores that she went to, but never like a really good selection. Um, I would find one, two, you know, then I started calling places and saying, oh, do you guys carry rubber stamps? And they'd say, yes, we have lots. And we would drive like an hour and a half. And then they would have a spinner with maybe 50 designs on it, which always made me laugh because that would never, ever be enough stamps for me. Um, yeah, so we just started getting into it. And I got a, I remember buying two stamps. That one was a PSX stamp of a uh, pair of leaves and the other one was a PSX of a birthday cake and a color box paint box pad and I embossed that those two designs thousands of times <laughs> that was just I just loved it and then I was hooked and I wanted more and more and more found out there were no stamp stores here in New York City of all places and I've lived here my entire life and never even seen a stamp store um, and I just uh, decided to go with it I, th- I saw there was a need for it. You know, I think I actually started my stamping with a color box, you know, one of those rainbow coordinated ink pads where you could, re- like, remove the sections. I think right. we all did. Yeah, right? Because that's, like, the way that it started. And you start with the wood-mounted rubber stamps. And, like, when I saw embossing, I th- like, heat embossing, I thought the world had turned upside down. Yep. <laughs> that's, what it do- that's what does it. I still think, like, that is one of the demos that you can do to people who've never seen it, and it, they just fall on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of wow factor. It does. It's so cool. And then you think, you know, I just won't tell them that they're inhaling the particles of melted plastic <laughs> right. into their lungs. That's We just won't discuss that. Right? Exactly. Okay. Okay, so, uh, Anna, so you've had several spaces, I guess, the ink pad has been to, because we went from a closet into what I would call now maybe even a studio apartment, a small studio apartment, but a studio apartment. I would agree. I think most people would call this a studio apartment. Um, we, uh, We are lucky to have this space over here, and... It's funny because people always say, oh, you should make the store bigger. You should make the store bigger. And it's just it's interesting. Um, when we first moved here, some people said that this is a smaller space, and then some people said it was a bigger space. So I guess it's just a matter of perspective. Well, I would say the fact that you don't have to climb down something scary to go to the bathroom makes it the best space ever. <laughs> That's true. That's you remember true. that. <laughs> I do. I do. A long time ago. <laughs> no, the store is really, I mean, like, and when I say, when you walk into the store from the baseboards to the ceiling, mm-hmm. there is stuff. You guys have used yeah. every inch of that space. And the most amazing thing is I remember the first time that you invited me to teach in the store and my brain went, what? <laughs> it doesn't but, seem possible. It doesn't seem possible, but you guys managed to fit, actually, what is it, nine students Anywhere between eight and ten. Ten is quite a squeeze, but we were actually... Plus a teacher. Yes, plus a teacher, plus at, at least one person working here. So, um, yeah, there's uh, we fit them in, you know. Uh, people always ask, where do you hold classes? And we just say, everything moves. It's true. All and, the and things are on casters. Well, it's also amazing how quickly you guys manage to transform the store over, right? Because the store closes, and then I'd say within 15 minutes, you've got the tables and the chairs out, and people can come right in. Correct. We're ready for them. It's like a theatrical production. It's true. But my favorite place to teach is when you have the weekend classes over at the West Bath, which is such a beautiful space. We're really lucky to have that space. We can hold classes um, almost three times as many as we could have in the store. And everyone seems to have a fair amount of 
table space and room to spread out. So for people who don't live in New York and don't understand uh, sort of space constraints and like, and and also I think West Beth is an interesting, I mean, it's artist housing and all this stuff. Will you talk a little bit about West Beth and how your relationship with them developed? Um, I found them maybe, I'm not even sure, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, I knew, I knew that they had existed and I contacted someone over there and they do artist housing. There are people in well into their 90s who lived there for 70 years or so, um, from what I understand. And they are city subsidized from my memory. Um, and many of the people who live there do everything for any kind of artwork you can imagine, um, oil painting, watercolors. And I believe they also have a gallery in the building where they show uh, their work. Um, I've seen the gallery that. on the first floor. Yeah, it's nearby where our community room is there. And um, it's just really incredible to have a space in New York where artists can commune. Um, I think they have uh, special rent or so that they pay there. Yeah, it was and, the first uh, federally subsidized artist housing complex in the country. And wow. it still is. You have to be a working artist. You have to make your living making art to live there. And they have these wonderful community rooms which we're lucky enough to be able to use. Yeah, they, and they also have a theater there. So they have a lot of different spots where anyone who's creative in different kinds of ways can, you know, show off and or practice. They have a lot of practice sessions there. They have meetings, all kinds of great things. Um, and it's a real uh, great thing to have that, especially here in the West Coast. Um, yeah. It's always at a premium. Well, one of the things that I love so much about the space and I often have talked about is the fact that it has all those windows and all that natural light. It just makes you feel, um, I don't know, happy and expansive. And I think when you're creating art, as much as you can sort of do it anywhere, it's lovely to just have that feeling of sort of openness and airiness around you. It, it really does. It's, um, you know, there's there's room to stretch out and I think people feel very comfortable there. Um it's just a, it's a nice creative space and all the people around the whole the atmosphere of the whole uh, community there is very creative so it's nice so let's talk a little bit about how um, obviously the store has changed in size and all that kind of stuff but I'm sure there are other kinds of changes I mean 17 years is, is a long time so what kind of I guess I, I'm wondering I'm interested in like trends and how things have changed and how stamping has changed in uh, your opinions well, I think years ago when we first started, there was no such thing as a clear stamp or a cling stamp or just buying a piece of rubber. People had no idea what that would mean. Um, but I still love wood rubber stamps. They are my primary go-to when I'm trying to create something. And over the Why years, is that, Anna? Because they're just ready to go. You don't have to assemble anything. You don't have to, you know do anything, you just take your image, you know what your image is going to look like, because it's indexed on the, on the one side of the uh, wood, and then you just plunk it on an ink pad and stamp, and do what you want, you know, and sometimes with the clear stamps, you always have to find the, the exact right size acrylic block to go with it, or if you have just a piece of rubber, you have to get double-sided tape to attach it to a wood rubber stamp, so it just makes it a little more challenging, um, and I do find that the red rubber stamps better, that is my personal opinion. Um, I think I'll always believe that. 
You mean like they print a better quality image? Yes. Yeah. I also think there's there's something a wooden stamp. It's it's a beautiful object in and of itself. You know, I sort of liken it um, like the difference between a book and a Kindle book. (laughs) You know, the book is a beautiful object that feels good in your hand. A clear stamp gets the job done. It gets it done beautifully, but it's just a different feeling. I can totally get behind that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally. Plus, I would say 99% of the people who walk in here actually know what these little wooden blocks are. I I get that question once about every, once a month or so, somebody walks in and they say, what are all these little wood blocks? (laughs) So, and then I have to explain it. Um, But when you look at a a, a plain stamp, you're not always sure, and it takes a little bit more explaining. Although they are really good on space saving, which for New Yorkers, I'm sure, is terrific. It's true, although I will say even really good cling stamps, and there are a lot of not really good cling stamps out there, I always find that the image is just never as crisp. Mm-hmm. I think I would agree with you on that. C'est la vie. Okay, so besides, uh, obviously, the form in which stamps have come, what other kind of trend changes have you seen? Well, we started out, I think, our customer base was the card maker. It was all about making cards, greeting cards. And that's great, and we still have that customer. But, you know, this whole mixed media thing has just been a real um, uh, booming business for us. And so now we, you know, we carry things that we didn't carry at the beginning. Um, Gessos and good quality paints and things that don't necessarily, um, uh, don't necessarily appeal to a card maker, but that's something a card maker could could use or if they've grown into expanding their art you know as far as journaling or you know doing a mixed media panel or something um they can use but so we've you know we've we've also developed that customer base that sort of mixed media customer your fans julie there you go you mean the card makers don't like me i feel sad (laughs) (laughs) well you know it is interesting because i think um most of the time when you run into people uh, who've been doing craft and art for a long time, they've been through so many of the different phases. You know, I started as a scrapbooker, I started as a card maker, I came from, you know, origami, whatever it is, and they sort of keep moving through the crafts because I think we're always interested in mastering things. And well, we're always as, interested. Yeah, as, sorry. You know, as as consumers, they're always interested in what's new. So we have people that come in every week. They just want to know what we have new. And if it's crafty, they want it. Do you guys get in new stuff? I mean, how often do you get in new stuff? Every day. <laughs> I was going to say, because every time I go to the store, I feel like I'm like, really? Was this stamp here before? I don't remember it. Everything's new. Every day. Yep. Well, that must make inventory a nightmare. It, yeah. It's it's a rare day when there's not a box sitting here that needs to be dealt with in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> and how do you do most of your buying? Is it um, based on trade shows, catalogs, customer requests? Like, where, where, where are you in terms – I mean, it's obviously a very curated collection. You guys have a limited amount of space, and you have to make choices, and you know your customers. So how do you make those choices? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything – you have to look at everything with an editor's eye. Everything's 
you know, we're not the type of people that will go to a show and purchase somebody's entire line from the paper to the stamps to the embellishments and so on. We, we just can't do it. Um, if we bought one line from top to bottom, we'd fill up the store. So um, we have to be very careful about editing what we pick up. And, you know, that just that just takes knowing the customer. It takes obviously, you know, certain amount of sales analysis as to what categories sell the best for us. But, um, you know, and generally, if we like it, our customers like it. You know, I remember going to something years ago where Jenny Bolin, who designs a line of, you know, paper and stamps and stencils and all sorts of stuff, and somebody was asking her, like, how she came up with her designs and how did she know they would sell. And she said, you know what, she always just designed things that she wanted herself to use, and she figured that whoever was buying it would be like her. Yep, it's true. It's true. I think that's a really hard thing to do. I mean, as an artist, as a store, as a whatever, is to is to try to stay true to the things that got you there. You know what I mean? Like and, the- and honestly, as a retailer, part of your job is telling people what they like. <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. that. You know, because people will come in and say, oh, I want to get into this, or I just want something new. What should it be? Uh, you know, so you will walk over to the newest, coolest thing, which could be a new set of inks or a new set of paints or the jelly plate or mm-hmm. uh, a new tool and they get excited about it. If you're excited about it, they get excited about it. So then speaking of you being excited about it and them being excited about it, how much, uh, how much are you actually like trying out and using stuff? Well, <laughs> as store people, we never get to play as much as we want to. Um, when was the last time either one of us actually was able to sit down and make a card it's tough um people think that's what we do all day but it's it's far from it um generally i get to play a lot at the when i go to the trade shows um because most of my time at the trade shows are spent in uh classes you know just like our students i'm learning from the dina wakeley's and the tim holtz's how to use all the new products so I come home with a sample that I've made, which certainly helps sell the product. Um, and then, you know, we do do some demos here, but it's it, it gets a little tough. It gets a little hairy during the day because there's so much going on and the phone is ringing all day. And so, so here's the question, like on your off time, are you like, yeah, I want to make stuff? Or are you like, if I see one more stamp, <laughs> I'm going to punch myself in the face? Um, no, I have a house full of supplies. Um, I have a lot of great intentions. I don't have a lot of time. I have decided to try and make the time lately. So I got myself a small notebook that I carry around all the time. And I've been trying to put pen and stamp to paper more than I have in the past. But that's, it's a concerted effort. That's awesome, Barbara. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah, it's fun. How about you, Anna? How about me? I knew you were going to get to (laughs) me. Um, so, can't hide in the back, young lady. The last, the last couple of days, I've been looking around in what I call my office, which is sky high with gardening magazines, rubber stamp magazines, every kind of magazine and paper that you can possibly uh, imagine. I guess I'm a paper hoarder. Um, and I realized how much washi tape I have on my desk, for example, kind of all over. 
so it just it's something I love I love rubber stamping I'm always amazed even just stamping the most simple stamp just in one color looks fabulous um, it's really a bunch of uh, magic I think and I wish I could do it more I mean I actually sometimes will take one of the classes that we offer here um, either a weeknight class or a weekend class but invariably I, I generally get pulled away even though you know, I, I try not to, or I try to have enough staff there or whatnot, but it just doesn't seem to happen as much as I'd like. Which is tough, but, I, but I, I'm going to out you now and say, so Anna's getting married. Oh, okay. And congratulations. Yes, I know. Big congratulations. But the question Thank is, you. how much are we DIYing our wedding invitations with stamps? Are we DIYing any of the wedding with craftiness? That's a very good question. I have not yet picked a date, um, and I'll have to keep you posted on that one. There you go. No, no, uh, no exact plan. So the most plan is that we're doing something simple, and I don't even know what that means. So. <laughs> <laughs> We've it's got hard. lots of fun planning ahead. Then, yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. We've been together a very long time, so thank you. Be super awesome. So uh, here's the question. So uh, what I'm getting is I feel like, you know, the store hasn't obviously killed your love for it. It's just killed your time for it. Correct. I would say that. Correct. I still, when we open the boxes and I pull out something new, I get giddy. I really do. I love it. I love it all. Well, it's true because I know like often when I teach and I'm there and you guys always bring a little store with you to West Beth and the first thing I say to you, Barbara, or when I come by the store is I always say, what's new, what's hot? Right. Exactly. Tell yep. me what I need to get. See, there you go. I have to, I'm going to tell you what you're going to buy. Exactly. <laughs> and you, invariably you do. And then right. I take it home and see how it goes. <laughs> and then I curse your name. Right. Of course. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, Barbara, you mentioned that at the beginning you were teaching classes, but I haven't uh-huh. seen, in the time that I've been going to think, Pat, I've never seen you teach a class. Well, I probably taught my last class about two and a half years ago, maybe mm. three years ago, just because there was no, there's just no time. Um, I mean, you know what it's like to have to um, prepare for a class. I don't have to tell you that. Yes, so. I do. Just another thing added to my daily tasks. It just it just got to be too much. I mean, I would love to do it again. Um, it just it just hasn't seemed physically possible in a while. But I'll pick it up again. And Anna, have you ever taught classes? Um, I never have taught classes, and um, I don't think I will either. Um, I don't think that's my strong point. Um, but I am good at finding people to teach classes as is Barbara and, you know, maybe picking something for them to work on. Um, you, you are really so. good at that. And I, I was going to say, cause a lot of people, I get a lot of emails from people who are interested in teaching classes and want to know, um, you know, like how do you reach out to places and stuff like that? So I guess I have questions for you guys. Like, do you, do you only take teachers who you reach out to? Do you take teachers who reach out to you? Like, how does all of that work? I guess anybody who, I mean, I have people walk in the store. A woman came in a few weeks ago. She's from Amsterdam, and she said her sister teaches and was featured in one of the magazines that we carry, Upper Case, and showed me her sister's work, and I took their name and number, and at some point when I get a minute, I'll probably get in contact with them and see when next time they come to New York, that might be fun to have a visiting teacher from, you know, the uh, Amsterdam. 
That'd be very cool. But the work is cool. And, you know, it's not every day that you meet uh, craft and arts and crafts teachers. Um, and it's nice to be able to see people's work, for sure. And if I like it, I'm going to assume that Barbara probably will also like it and then all our uh, customers would like it, too. Yeah, I mean, we've reached out to a bunch of people and some have reached out to us. And it's just if we think they're a fit with our customers and something they'd like to do, we're happy to bring them on. And I think that's a really good point with so many things, whether it's getting published or getting a teaching gig or even like getting your stamps or stencils or paint or whatever carried in a store. It's really, it's, I mean, in the end, it is about the bottom line. It is about the dollar bills and things have to be a good fit. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They also have to be willing to work with what our products are here. So they can't say, oh, I want paint from so-and-so. You know, it would be good if they could use some paints and things that we normally carry. And if there was a special item that they like using, um, I'd be happy to bring it in just for the class, you know, special order that we would just do around class time. And we have done that for many teachers because everyone has their preferred art tools. I was going to say a lot of people don't realize this, and I didn't realize it until I started teaching, that the place that stores generally make money um, is not on the class fee. Usually there's a small amount that they make off the class fee, um, but really it's it's in what you sell during class. Right. We definitely don't make money on the class fees. I mean, that just barely covers our, you know, our space and our labor and our on our lights. Um so yes, I mean it's it's a lot of it is about selling product and getting people excited about the product, which is which is not it's not always easy if people are not realizing that that's you know what I mean. Of course, you want to hold classes for the great generosity of spirit and sharing of, of the course. world, but it's also because you need to have a business. Obviously, we don't force anybody to buy anything, and there right. are people that don't. They just want a creative day, and that's that's okay. Um, but most of the people that walk into class do it because they love to do they love making things they they they're interested in the product they want to know what to do with the product if they buy it or if they've already bought it and so you know that's that's exciting to people it's always exciting i mean i think like the thing for me about taking a class and i have i have taken many classes at the ink pad as along with teaching classes at the ink pad is that even if it's something that you already know something about, somebody else has a different perspective on it, Absolutely. and that's fascinating. And Not don't mention, you learn things from learn things from from the people that you teach? Always get, and yeah. always, always, always. Yeah, I did too when I was teaching. Yeah, because the thing is, like, even if I'm teaching a technique I've done a million times, somebody will shock me and just be like, oh, well, I've always done it this way. And I'm like, oh, my God, that tech cuts out 10 steps. I'm a moron. And that's amazing. (laughs) That's the beautiful part about teaching, I think. Well, I think also for me, so much of the beautiful part of teaching, and I have to say the ink pad, I sound like a total fangirl. My mom's going to yell at me after the podcast and say that I was too much of a fangirl and not enough of a interviewer but anyway uh what I was gonna say is thank you uh is that like I feel like the community aspect of class is the thing that always keeps me coming back to teaching and taking class because there's something about and I have a lot of people who come through and say I don't have any friends near me who make art I don't have any friends near me who get it when I say oh my god do you see this pen this is an amazing pen and they're like "Uh, it looks like a pen 
you know, and <laughs> right. you're, you're, and, but you get it when I say it, it writes in this and it writes in this and it's waterproof and I'm like, you know, nerding out about it and it doesn't matter that it costs $30. Like it's exciting. Right. And, uh, and I think people come to class seeking that community and you do have a group of regulars. I mean, I can say yes. without a doubt that there are like maybe 10 ladies, they don't come to every class, but I can definitely say I'm going to see at least five to six of them in any given class. Yep. And they formed really deep relationships with each other. I mean, these people, you know, they're going to be lifelong friends. Um, it, it really is a community and it's, I've just seen lots of wonderful relationships blossom. Definitely when I first moved to New York and I started meeting with this group of ladies who scrapbooked and I saw they, that's how I got my first friends in New York, you know, is I saw them socially Mm -hmm. because we, we had nothing in common. We weren't the same age. We didn't have the same jobs. We didn't live in the same parts of the city, but we all loved this one crazy scrapbooking thing and it was enough to form these really intimate friendships. Right. And some of them you'll know forever. Exactly. Yeah. Very nice thing. It's pretty cool. The Church of Craft, as they say. So what other, uh, just to get back to the changes issue, which is I'm thinking there have been other crafty stores that have kind of come and gone over the 17 years, yes? Yeah, a few. And has that, has the appearance of other stores ever changed your business? I don't think so, no. Because, like I was saying before, um, you have to have a really, with 330 square feet, you have to have a really fine editor's eye. So we're not going to carry something. We don't have room um, to carry anything that that we don't feel strongly about. Um, and, you know, as a person who's in, been in retail and wholesale my whole life you know if if you don't feel good about it it's very hard to to sell something it's very hard to get somebody else excited about it so i think if we keep if 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 we keep that enthusiasm and we love what we have and i'm talking about every single piece that's in here is looked at and looked at again um i think that's kind of our secret in how we do it we're just not buying something to fill up a shelf um Right, we're buying it because we we would want it ourselves, and or sometimes even we'll get in an order of something, and between Barbara and then there's a young woman here named Jane and myself, there's not really enough to put out for sale. (laughs) (laughs) It goes home. So one of us usually has to wait and get it next time. See, this is what I always suspected happened with like real estate agents and really good real estate is it just right. never makes it to market. Take up the prime properties first. Exactly. So what are some hot new things that are happening right now? Tell us the tre- tell us what we have to buy. Tell us the trends. What do you have to buy? Well, you know what's it's certainly not new, but I think it's making a resurgence is calligraphy and handwriting, Julie. It is. I mean, yes. thank God I'm teaching a hand lettering class That's at the Inkpad. Right. That's right. I mean, we have people, all kinds of people coming in and asking us for calligraphy pens and inks. And people are writing letters again. Um, and they're decorating them. And it's nice to see. 
Lettering is a huge trend, and I know it's probably, like, the number one thing that people ask me about right now Uh, is lettering. mm -hmm. We just got in a brand-new magazine called The Dashery. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. Is it spelled D-A-S-H-E-R-I-E? And it is dedicated to the art of writing, and it's a beautiful magazine. And uh, we just got it in, what, the middle of last week, and... We have just a couple of copies left. People is are... it to the physical act of writing, or is it like also about content? No, it's 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 calligraphy and and letter arts. And is it the is it what I call like the schmancy real calligraphy? <laughs> like you yes, know, some of it is, some of it is, yeah, and some of it's very approachable. Cool. Yeah. So, what kind of calligraphy pens are you guys selling then? Because there's a million kinds. I mean, when you go ask for a calligraphy pen, there are like 10,000 you can choose Pretty from. Pretty much everything from dip pens to markers. Hmm. You know, we're not, we don't cater to the fine calligrapher. I don't think anybody who's um, getting thousands of dollars to do wedding invitations is coming here. Although, Chi, who the we hobby. know. I mean, but you know Chi. I was going to say, you know yeah, Chi. Know she's a yeah. professional calligrapher. She, she comes to the ink pad all the time. She does. She does. And she's taking your class. <laughs> oh, she is. That's hilarious because she's a wonderful, amazing she, letterer. She's incredible. Yep. Anyway, sorry. So you were saying, so you don't cater to that fine art. Well, we don't carry the expensive, you know, $200 calligraphy pens. You know, we'll have a calligraphy pen for maybe twenty four ninety five, nineteen ninety five, all the way down to you know, a 395 marker with a calligraphy tip. So here's my question. Do you think, I've never used one of the really expensive pens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have. Do no, you I think, haven't. I, I just, um, I keep wondering, like, how, how amazing could it be? Does it really make such a big difference? Oh, I don't know. I think it's really more about the way it feels in your hand. I think some people just like the preciousness of it. I would That's be so scared to object. lose it. I know, because I have can't hold onto a pen to save my life (laughs) it's like buying expensive sunglasses i'm just like those those will be gone right exactly it's kind of a disaster yeah okay so lettering is hot what else is hot very hot lettering is hot um what is that Uh, calendar and journal keeping uh journaling and planners yep planners that's it that planners are hot are you guys carrying planner stuff thing to put in a planner that you would already have. Um, yeah. We don't carry the actual planners themselves They're very fast array out there. Um, and I think people are very personal. It's very personal, yeah. But we have planner stamps and and they have lots of the little things that you would put in them. Anything from right. stickers we have, we've started to get uh, smaller and smaller alphabet sets things like that for those of us who do not have good handwriting. And um, you know, people really enjoy making something that's a work of art that they're going to keep. And um, don't make me chastise you, by the way. Everybody has good handwriting. It's just a matter of embracing your own personal quirks. I think I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have. Okay. By the way, for people, I'm not sure if we've ever talked on the podcast about the whole planning craze that exists. And I mm-hmm. wonder if you guys wouldn't mind just explaining what that is. Because I'm sure, Mom, Mom, do you know what the planning craze no. is? Why don't you enlighten me? <laughs> Thanks. Well, it seems like... People have sort of moved from digital planning, in other words, the calendar, 
um, and notebook on their phones to an analog planner, sort of the way that it was 20-something years ago during the Filofax craze. Um, and Filofax is hot again, and planners in general are hot. Um, all the craft companies, not all, but some of many of the larger craft companies are now manufacturing planners and everything that goes into it. So, so the trend right now is planning sort of a, a planner and journal hybrid where you will decorate your planner pages and not necessarily plan anything in them, but journal in them, uh, sort of a daily calendar journal, um, fancying it up a little bit with some stamps or washi tape or stickers. Um, and if you were to go online and just type in planner um, and take a look at, you know, Google images, you'll see thousands and thousands of images of people who are decorating their planners. They are doing, I mean, fancy, amazing, yep. like, things. And it's it's kind of like if art journaling met Project Life right. and also got together with, like, staples and organization <laughs> stores like that. Like, right. And they all had, like, a baby. Right. It would kind of be what this is now. And it, it it's like, so some people are taking it super artsy with, like, painting in their pages and other people are taking it more stickers and stamps and some people are more it's about like organization with an occasional like photo glued in but it it's is still like this urgent need I think we have to be memory keepers exactly I think the documented life project had a lot to do with it mm. and you I know think, people uh, sorry people there was this whole craze oh digital photos I can take them I don't ever have to print out a photo again I have everything on the computer and now people are realizing it's nice to have something in your hand sure back is. to what you said about a book as opposed to a Kindle right exactly exactly you know we're we love art we're visual um it's nice to have it there in front of you I have to say, I remember how, to a certain extent, how much easier it is with a planner where you just kind of like open your book and like it's written there or it right. isn't. On the other hand, do you know what I mean? Uh, I do always have my phone with me. Right. Yeah, but I've had the experience of having my entire calendar wiped out on well, my on my phone. Right. And that doesn't happen. Not fun. With my with a. It could physical. happen if I mugged you and took your planner. This is true. <laughs> this is true. I'll have to watch out for that. There you go. Watch your back, Mom. I'm coming. <laughs> so what? So planners are hot and lettering is hot. Now, do you guys, um, are you sort of surfing the trends, meaning like you're bringing the stuff in before people are even asking for it and know that they want it? Or are you hearing people come in looking for stuff and then you're starting to respond to it? Well, we try to get there before the trend happens. Um, the problem is, again, because of space, it becomes a real investment for us unless we know something is going to move and people want it. So we try really hard to listen to the buzz. Um, you know, I, I'm a planner person, so I love my planner. So I sort of, you know, had a little bit to do with getting some of that in here um, because I had been looking online and saw that there was an entire universe of planner people. And I thought, well, we can capture some of that business. Um, but, you know, and it was the same thing with um, 
the jelly plate. I think we were probably one of the first people in the country to carry it. And, I believe uh, you you uh, you gave me my first jelly exactly, plate. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it just took off from there. So, I, you know, again, it's it's just if we have a feeling about it, if if it fits into what we're doing and what our customers are doing, we'll we'll bring it in. We'll you know take the plunge. You know that this is why I curse your name, don't you? <laughs> the two of you at night when I look around my crowded apartment full of right. stuff. Right. That jelly changed a lot of people's lives. It really has. It's one of those things like when people say like what uh, what's one of the tools that you can't live without or what's something new that's come out that really – I mean there are lots of cool stuff out there that I love. But there are a couple notable things to me that I have trouble creating without. Like I right. really – I need my jelly plate these days. I really – I don't know how to art journal in a blank journal anymore. I have to use one of my junk journals. I don't know how to scrapbook without my scanning cut. I can't right. – you know, there are certain pens. Like I don't know what I would do if permapake markers didn't exist I mean, there's just certain things that for me have become like absolute must-haves. And now we have Jelly Deli happening. It's true. It's true. So in full advertisement without saying, I will say that I am teaching two classes at the Ink Pad uh, in September. When is, when is, I guess I should know when that is. 12th and 13th. There you go. The 12th and the 13th. So Jelly Deli and hand lettering. Uh, one, the Jelly Deli is on Saturday and the hand Correct. lettering is on Sunday. And I think mm-hmm. you told me the Jelly Deli just has a couple seats left. Correct. Um, and hand lettering has a couple as well, which right. is cool. It's also the first day of Rosh Hashanah and I've gotten yes. some angry uh, yes. notices yes. from people on that one, which I apologize for. And I will say I am Jewish. I'm sorry. I'm just a very bad Jew. Yes, me, me too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, Mom, you've been so loud during this podcast, it's really obnoxious. <laughs> you shouldn't have unplugged my computer. Exactly, exactly. I'm wondering if you had any uh, anything you would like to add, ask, or contribute. Well, I always have something to ask. I was just wondering, is is every one of your customers a woman? Do you have some men? Oh, quite a few men, actually. It's really been fun to see over the years. I think the numbers have been increasing. Um, Absolutely. From what I understand, there's even a male stamping block. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, gentlemen crafters or something I can't remember at the moment. Oh, I don't have the right name of it either. But, yeah, there definitely are a lot of men who do crafting. There are some who do scrapbooking. Um, in this neighborhood, we have a lot of very creative, crafty people. There's a lot of graphic designers, um, men and women both, um, who like to just do something a little extra, you know, and uh, put their personal touch on something. And the other thing I was wondering, since you are uh, professionals in the craft industry, and this goes for Julie too, do you feel compelled, do you feel pressure that every time you give somebody a card or a present, there has to be some handmade aspect, and would people be disappointed if you just went out and bought something? Uh, Yes. And I, I, I am guilty of handing over a gift without a card because I didn't have time to make one and I cannot buy one. <laughs> so it's cardless. Yes, I would say me too. There's a few occasions and a few people uh, throughout the year who do get a handmade card from me. But that's because if I didn't give it to them, I would get a heck of a lot of things. Right. I really, really, really try. <laughs> And if I've forgotten anybody's birthday or haven't sent you a card this year, I do apologize. 
Yeah, Julie? where's my card, Anna? Um, I say for me, like definitely, I can't imagine buying a store bought card right for anybody in my family, and even like uh, when I go to somebody's wedding or something like that, like I would feel enormous guilt exactly. in doing it, which is so funny because. They don't care. Like, I mean, 99.9% of the time, at least the people I give it to, they don't care. And I'm pretty sure, you know, they sell all those stamps and you guys may even sell some of them where you can stamp on like handmade by or made with love or like if you throw, this is a voodoo card and if you throw it away, you know, your butt will fall off or whatever. Um, And like, I always feel like when I give that card, I sort of expect that it's going to end up in a garbage can somewhere, sad as that may be. Right. Which is sad, but it's also, I even think that, like, I used to give handmade gifts to a lot of people, and then I realized that some people look at them like, why did you give me this piece of crap? I particularly remember I bought a beautiful wire basket that was handmade by an artist that was sort of wonky and interesting and all the kind of stuff that I like. Um, and he gave it to some friends for their wedding. And I think they literally looked at me like I had picked something up on the side of the road. Yeah, and I felt you know. terrible because it, it wasn't what they wanted. And my intention had been good, but I clearly missed the mark very badly. And that sort of changed how I felt about giving homemade gifts or even that that wasn't homemade. I purchased it from an artist, but it just changed how I felt about it. Well, you can't expect everybody to appreciate everything you do. You'd like to, but it doesn't always happen. Well, people just also have different styles. Different yeah, yeah, like sure. I was talking to a friend of mine who said, like he just he really likes art. Like if we would go to the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and we would look at a painting of a still life where it like was photographically real, he would be like, "Now that's someone who can paint. That's amazing, uh-huh. right?" Whereas I would go to like MoMA and look at an abstract expressionist piece, right. and I would just be like, "Now that's someone who can paint," and mm-hmm. And he would look at it and just be like, "That my four-year-old could do that. And, and I would look at the still life and say, anybody can paint a still life with enough time and practice. Right. Well, you know, and we're, yeah. both, we're both right and we're both uh-huh. wrong. Right. Yep. It's, it's everybody's like. got a different eye. Sure. Exactly. Anyway, Mom, is there anything else you would like no, to No, but I'll be expecting a parade of handmade gifts and cards. <laughs> I, will, I will expect to look in your trash can for them. Anyway, actually, my mom is really great. She has a whole shelf in her bedroom that's just loaded up with lots of little things I've made over the years. And every now and then I'll go over and finger something and say, wow, I can't believe I made this, you know, when I didn't know anything. It's very sweet, right? Very nice. Yeah. What a good mom. (laughs) Oh, and on that warm note, uh, ladies, where can people find you online? We are at theinkpadnyc.com. And I do want to point out that you are also on Instagram and you do have a Facebook page and people we should get do. social with you. Yep. The Inkpad uh, is our Facebook page and the Inkpad NYC is our Instagram and on Pinterest and Twitter. And all those good things. Oh. And also that people often say, because you don't have like an online shop the way that some people do, but people can call you. They can. Um, they can call us. We ship everywhere so if they know what they want if they see something on our instagram page or on our facebook page and they want it we're happy to send it anywhere in the world um and just as a side note uh we will be selling online uh our goal goal is before the end of the year we'll see what happens we're doing a, a really interesting i think uh collaboration with a wonderful well-known artist 
and we have some exciting things coming down the pike. Ooh, that's a teaser. Yeah. Now I'm super yeah. curious. Uh-huh. I hate that. Okay. Uh, so great. And so, Mom, uh, people can find you. I am everywhere. Look in the trees. <sighs> I'll go. be there. Excellent. Feel the wind. That Excellent. is me. Okay. Thank you. This is what I always suspected as a child. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, which you should, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>